Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today we're going to have a different sort of show than usual. Most of you guys are used to me talking about pornography on this show. We've had people from Protect Young Minds on. We've had Gabe Deem on. We've had a psychotherapist to talk about how to deal with porn in your relationship. Uh, we've had former porn actresses talk about their horrifying experiences in the industry on the show as well. And so it's pretty safe to say the news is almost universally bad, with the exception of, of an interview we did a couple of weeks ago with Member of Parliament Arnold Viersen on a piece of legislation uh, that he's been working on with allies across the aisle. But today I'm going to be talking to somebody different. I'm going to talk to Petrina Mosley of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, where she serves as the Deputy Director of Legislative Policy. Now, NICOSI, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is one of the leading global organizations combating sexual exploitation. I've actually been to their annual summit before. It's an incredible event where you have this meeting of minds of people from all different backgrounds getting together to strategize how to end sexual exploitation, how to free your home from pornography. And for those of you who are interested, by the way, uh, the 2021 Coalition to End Sexual Exploitation Global Summit is actually coming right up. It's July 20 to 24th. Uh, it is a virtual event and it's free, so you guys could easily sign up and hear some of these presentations. And if you want to do that, head over to End Sexual Exploitation org and you'll be able to get more information on that conference so this is a conversation about the advances the gains being made in the culture war against pornography and sexual exploitation and my conversation is with Petrina Mosley I hope it makes you as optimistic as it made me Let's start in Canada when we're looking at uh, the victories that, that your organization has, has been talking about and has been facilitating uh, for quite some time. So you said in an email blast recently that, that you've been working with members of the Canadian government uh, to actually get this parliamentary report put out that condemned uh, many aspects of the porn industry and could potentially facilitate change. Maybe tell our listeners a bit about that. Yeah, we've been working on this for a while after so many survivors have come forward. I mean, really, this is, you know, the culmination of survivors being willing to come forward and tell their stories about how they've been exploited. And, and even to the point of sharing their stories for the public in the Canadian Parliament, which I believe is a four to five part series that many people can go back and watch when you just you know, Google's Canadian Parliament ethics hearing on Pornhub MindGeek company. You can find those hearings there and, and hear these testimonies and these stories of women who said, hey, this content that Pornhub is hosting and distributing was non-consensual. It was my sexual abuse. It was my rape. I wanted them to take it down and they refused to do it. Um, there was even one testimony from a survivor who went into graphic details of how it was her in a particular video she proved her identity. She proved you know, what was happening in that circumstance while that illicit activity was happening and how it was non-consensual and how she can prove her, her identity in this video and she wanted them to take it down. I mean, she had a whole binder of, of 
of ways that she tried to get Pornhub to take this down, even to the point of impersonating a lawyer. She was that desperate. And they still refused to take down this content. So, you know, really, you know, Nikozi wrote, so excited and happy to experience this victory alongside them because really without these survivors coming forward, we wouldn't have the proof to show how horrible and egregious this company is. It it is really running like a mafia. Um, I mean, the, the, the lawsuit that we're in and with Pornhub right now with a couple of survivors, it it reads like a movie. I mean, you pull one thread and it just all becomes unraveled. Uh, there's blackmail involved, there's racketeering, there's rape. Um, it just, it's just so many things that are being exposed. Uh, but once again, it's because survivors are willing to come forward. And I think it's because they see that there are viable solutions to holding these social media or tech platforms accountable, such as Pornhub. And um, they want to be a part of bringing those solutions for other victims who are still suffering in the silence right now and that's it's interesting you put it that way a couple of years ago uh, i went to a nicosi conference in in texas and dr gail dines was one of the speakers and she described uh that the way to target the porn industry was much like the lilliputians uh targeted gulliver and gulliver's travels is is, is one little thing at a time because when you look at Pornhub and how massive it is, you know, owned by MindGeek. There was a fascinating report just a couple of weeks ago where they finally identified the owner of Pornhub, mm-hmm. uh, the guy who owns the whole thing. But so uh, most of our listeners will be pretty aware of the dangers of porn. We've had a lot of people on this show to talk about how to porn proof your home. We've had guys from Covenant Eyes come on from Protect Young Minds, a lot of uh, groups that show up at the Nicosi conferences, actually. But maybe for listeners who aren't familiar with Pornhub as a company, um, you could describe a bit about that. Because when you say you know, racketeering, blackmail, all these kinds of things, people are going to be thinking, oh, this was an online porn company. What's all this about? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, Pornhub is one of the, if not the largest pornography websites in the world. And um, they have the ability to not only host pornographic content, but for users to get on and download the pornographic content and distribute it to God knows where. Um, now, eventually, because of pressure from Nicosi and other allies and survivors, I think in December of 2020, they removed that function. But it took a lot of pressure. But the point is, is that because a lot of this material on this pornographic site and a lot of other pornographic sites was easily downloaded and distributed to anywhere, that can be considered trafficking. And that's part of our lawsuit currently, that these women who reported to you that their content was not consensual and yet was able to be downloaded and distributed on multiple platforms thousands of thousands of times can be considered trafficking. Um, so to those who, you know, you said that your audience knows about the dangers of pornography, but I do want to point out that, you know, these these types of things, viewing pornography is not a harmless activity. With each click, you could be enabling trafficking. You don't know what's happening on the other side of that screen. So, so Pornhub is one of the mega giants of, of pornographic content. But w- what other people don't really know is that, you know, yes, this content is free for the most part, but the way they make their money is off of you. Anytime you, you see something that's free online is most likely that you're the product. And so as you're viewing these pornographic scenes and materials, they're tracing your data. They know exactly what you're looking at. 
how long you're looking at it, your IP address and your location. And then they're tracing what else you're looking at and what you're clicking on throughout the site. So they know how to target advertisements to you. Those advertisers get money. Then they take that data and they sell it to third parties. And some of those third parties are in countries like China. So this is how they're making their money off of porn watchers, porn viewers, and those who are being raped and abused in these in these films and in these materials. So not only do we have trafficking, we also have um, the capability of blackmailing. Now, I can't you know, release everything that's happening with the blackmailing, but that is part of the, uh, the lawsuit moving forward is that because they do have your data, um, they're able to blackmail and they have blackmailed certain high profile people because they know exactly what they're looking at and how long and who and what and where. So, I mean, this is this is an organized crime unit. It's more than just, oh, adult entertainment. It's not adult entertainment. This is an organized crime unit that begets one wicked thing on top of another. So um, many may be familiar with New York Times expose on the children of Pornhub that was released in December 2020. I encourage readers to read that. This is the one by Nicholas Kristof, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And in that, you'll see um, one survivor who was trafficked on the site at the age of 14 and who begged for the, the platform to remove the content. It did not. She was on the verge of suicide and, and drug abuse because of this horrific time in her life was being distributed and monetized as adult entertainment on this platform. So we're not just talking about adults who willingly get behind a camera and perform explicit acts. We're talking about content that is way more deviant now in mainstream pornography. Um, you know, for those who listen, they may think, well, okay, well, Trina, you're just saying some really extreme story right now. That's just a one-off shoot. No, check out the expose from the New York Times, continue to go to Nicosia's website and to listen to all the, the previous podcast episodes that, that you have done, Jonathan, for people to see. This is not a, a one-off circumstance. This is not an extremity. This is mainstream pornography. And um, I believe Lila McElwaite, who is the founder and incredible leader of this movement to take down Pornhub, uh, she just tweeted out the other day that there are, there are now 97 survivors who are joining the lawsuit against Pornhub. Yeah. So I, I mean, this, this, is, this is mainstream pornography where we have not adults, but children who are being raped and sexually abused and that being filmed and monetize on platforms that are free and can easily be distributed to other users. And on top of that, let's say if pornography is not your thing, you don't want to condemn this horrific act, which it is, you know, what's taking place is crime scenes, it's not adult entertainment. But let's say, uh, I don't really care about this platform hosting crime scenes. Okay, well, I hope you care about your privacy data and how that's being collected, because that is how they're making their money off of people. So um, that, that is Pornhub in, in a nutshell. I mean, Pornhub is not the only one that is doing this. I mean, we have Twitter as well that we're involved in a lawsuit against who's um, distributing and monetizing sexual abuse material from minors once again. Um, so it, it's time that we hold these, these tech platforms accountable and we're, we're doing that through the voices of survivors. 
So this is really interesting because we have, and I talked about this with, with Member of Parliament Arnold Viersen a couple of weeks ago on this show. You've got Pornhub, which is, it seemed like this untouchable giant for years. And I, I, I probably haven't been involved in, in this particular fight as long as you have. It's about 10 years since I started doing anti-porn work. But with Pornhub, um, it's so big, it's so rich, it's so secretive. Um, it it kind of seems like, most anti-porn work is just, you know, talking to people, doing presentations, trying to raise awareness. But it does kind of seem like a corner has been turned somehow, where you got the, the Nicholas Kristoff New York Times uh, um, reporting that you referred to. There was a follow-up piece in the New York Times later on. You mm -hmm. had the Canadian government speak out. You've got over half a dozen states declaring porn to be a public health crisis. The Republican Party has done the same. Uh, what is your sense, and, and you and your colleagues at Nicosi who deal with this stuff every day, when you look at Pornhub, is there a feeling that, you know, Goliath might actually topple? Absolutely, because now we're moving away from the the age-old defense that pornography is a free speech issue and is considered adult entertainment. Now, because of the criminality that's been uncovered and that we all long knew we just needed survivors to step out and prove it, we have moved beyond that now into tech companies. This is because it's a tech platform. Pornography is a tech platform. Um, facilitating crime scenes and doing nothing about it. So we moved away from adult entertainment into this is children. And really, I just want to point out that this is how pornography works, is that, you know, it, it is an insatiable content. You want more and more deviant content the more that you view pornography. So the inevitable consequence is child sexual abuse material being the new normal for pornography consumption. And uh, that's just how the brain works. It wants more and more extreme content to satisfy the dopamines that are being released. So, you know, this is where we're at. We're not talking about adults willingly getting behind the camera. We're talking about now spy camming, people who don't know th that they're being filmed, children that don't know that they're being filmed, children as young um, as three years old being sexually abused and their sexual abuse being monetized filmed on platforms like Pornhub. And I mean, this issue is, is so unfathomable right now that law enforcement is inundated. I mean, they, they, they now cannot focus on the other children, like maybe 12 to 16, those who are getting abused and having their abuse facilitated online. They now have to focus on the most vulnerable and that's zero to three. We're talking about infants and toddlers. This is insane. And um, in that same expose that Nicholas Kristof wrote about in December 2020, he talks about uh, the extreme high nature of CSAM and the prevalence of that right now. So I do believe we have turned a corner, Jonathan, uh, because now we have moved away from free speech, adults doing what they want to do, into facilitators of crime scenes. So when we're looking at, so we've got Pornhub, maybe just give some of the details of, of the lawsuits that are going on right now. Uh, my understanding is there's multiple lawsuits being joined by multiple survivors. What is like, what is the crux of the lawsuits and what's, what's the, uh, the intended effect? Of, so besides getting justice for the victims specifically, these lawsuits also play a wider role uh, in, in the fight against Pornhub to take down this massive industry fueling sexual exploitation. So for, for on a micro and a macro level, what are these lawsuits all about? 
So for for Pornhub and for Twitter, those are the, the, the two lawsuits that we're involved in that uh, specifically deal with a company that has a online uh, presence, online database, their, their business is online. And so ideally what we're saying to Twitter and to Pornhub is that you can no longer hide behind the shield of Section 230 immunity, which is in the Communications Decency Act of 1996. Um, in that Section 230, um, it says that these platforms have immunity because they're not technically creating this content, they're just hosters. And so they're not liable for the bad content that you may see. That's, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So they've been using that in court to shield themselves from, from liability. So what our lawsuits are doing right now is saying, okay, you say you have liability, but you don't have liability from things that are crimes, such as sex trafficking. That's a federal crime. Um, and, and I would say CSAM as well, when we talk about child pornography, that is also a federal crime. So I, those two things are the biggest hooks because those are statutes already in place in the law that says sex trafficking is a crime, uh, distributing, monetizing, possessing child pornography is a crime. And when you have a platform that's knowingly, and we have proven from survivors, knowingly engaging in these two things that are already defined as crimes, we have a pathway into breaking down this uh, lack of accountability. Now, at this point in the interview, before we get on to a whole bunch of, of the other cool things that are taking place, I thought I'd ask you, uh, I wanted to jump into it right away so people could get some good news, but you have to admit, uh, and I get this as working as, as comms director for a pro-life group as well, that fighting sexual exploitation as a day job uh, probably doesn't have the same story uh, that you might have if you know you joined Wall Street or became a school teacher or a construction worker. So maybe, would you mind giving us just like a little bit of a background? How did you end up working for Nicosi, fighting the porn industry in the first place? Oh my goodness, I can tell you, it certainly was not my plan. I, I my background is previously in pro life policy as well, Jonathan, and really during that time, I saw how. Uh, exploitive certain industries were for women, uh, particularly the abortion industry, but also I saw the, the connection between abortion and trafficking and the pornography industry. They're all interrelated and they all seem to exploit women, particularly in, when it comes to sex trafficking, there's so much forced abortion. Um, and the pornography, of course, is what enables the trafficking industry because they see something that they want on the screen and then they go and buy it and it creates a demand for women and to be bought and sold for sex. So, you know, really I was in a women's advocacy sphere and I just began to just have a heavy burden for this. Like I couldn't get away from it. So um, in joining Nicosi, it was not my plan to have both feet into this bucket because it is a dark world, but um, we need it, we need it. And we need to expose the darkness that's happening so that more people can disinfect it. The more people we have joining our fight <laughs> and whatever role that that may be. And some of you who, who are listening, you know, your role may be to share on social media. Um, it may not be that your calling is to work directly in an organization that's dealing with this day to day. 
Um, I can tell you that organizations like like ours and and people that Jonathan works for, they could always use your donations and your, your support and your prayers. But really, it's about sharing this information because many people just don't know. And the more people know, the more they get outraged. And Jonathan, with this, for me, it was something that I couldn't unsee. Once you see it, once you see the exploitation happening all around you, you just can't unsee it and you have to do something. How many different areas is, is Nikosi involved in now? So for, for those like not super familiar with the background of, of, of the group, right? It was founded by Patrick Truman. Uh, Don Hawkins is, is somebody that I've met and heard speak quite a few times. You guys host these phenomenal conferences that bring together um, anti-porn advocates, anti-sex trafficking advocates. And we're talking, it was probably one of the strangest conference I ever went to. It was Mormons, <laughs> it was atheists, you know, and, and everything in between. And we're all at this conference. We had Dr. Marianne. Layden, one of my heroes, Dr. Gail Dines was there, Gabe Deem, you know, work your way down the list. Everybody from guys who are talking to other guys about breaking masturbation and porn addictions to radical feminists who basically see going after Pornhub as part of smashing the patriarchy. And they're all at one conference kind of going at the same thing. So you guys are, are part of two lawsuits now. You do a lot of lobbying. You do a ton of research. You publish your dirty dozen list that lets consumers know, you know, which major companies are helping to facilitate sexual exploitation. What does Nikosi all do now? Because since I first became familiar with the group, I feel like you guys have your fingers in a lot more pies than you used to, or is that just my impression? <laughs> no, you're right. And I would say within the last year, we've actually exploded in a lot more work. Um, I can tell you, we went from being a staff, a, a very small staff, to being a, a medium-sized staff with over 30 people now in just a year. So you are correct in what you're seeing. We're having our hands in a lot more things now. So um, yes, we're still doing our Dirty Dozen list, which is the, our corporate advocacy lane. And there's actually a victory on that, Jonathan. I, I'll share just a little bit. There's more details to come, but we have been bugging Google, Google Chromebooks for years, even before I got here, to basically set their Google Chromebooks for schools to default to safety, meaning have the filters on, remove the incognito mode so that children cannot accidentally access pornography. And they've, they were not very happy with us for a number of years and did not uh, fulfill our request to protect children. But just as of yesterday, they had decided to do everything we've been asking for for the last 10 years. So, um, but more on that to come. But the two major things is that now starting in, in September, Google Chromebooks that are distributed in uh, uh, public schools will now be defaulted to have filters and the incognito mode removed so that children aren't accidentally bumping into pornography and obscene material that's gonna mess their minds up for life. So we're really happy about that. Next, we have our law center. The law center is pretty new within the last three, three to four years. And that is our, our voice for victims and survivors. So we are, we are not only in a lawsuit with, with Twitter and Pornhub, we're also in a lawsuit with the state of Nevada for enabling sex trafficking with their prostitution laws, or lack thereof, rather. Um, we are also in a lawsuit against X videos for the same harms committed uh, as Pornhub. And uh, you know we're gonna continue to move forward on these and it really is based off of survivors coming forward, sharing their story and saying, hey, 
I don't want somebody else to end up with my story. I want to protect future victims. Um, and then we also have our research institute. Our research institute has grown to, um, to have a couple of more staff members now so that we can get great data out to people who can see the facts. Like we're not just trying to be more crusaders here, but there is empirical evidence for the things that we're seeing and the things that we're saying about how pornography changes and rewires the brain, how it wants to create deviant content and how that in itself is creating the, um, the, the insatiable appetite for child sexual abuse material and how now that is being monetized on major pornographic platforms. It all connects together. Um, and lastly, our legislation department, which is where I'm placed, is we're focusing on the solutions. You know, we, we, we do a great job at pointing out, hey, this is the roof that's on fire. This is the house that's on fire that you may not have known about. But with our public policy department, we're focusing on what states are doing to to put out the fires. And also what federal government is doing to uh, bring awareness to these issues. So we're pointing out the victories and we're also <laughs> uh, getting into the houses that are on fire themselves and, and holding legislators accountable saying, hey, you know, this is a problem. Um, we need to fix it. And um, there's been some great victories on that front as well that we can talk about. Now, yeah, I was going to say, because one of the things I, I really wanted this particular podcast to be is encouraging, because when you're talking about sexual exploitation, when you're talking about porn, how the porn industry, it's a naturally depressing topic. There's so many horrible and evil things being done to so many people. And with porn, you have so many people who are part of it that it, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. So if you just want to encourage listeners, maybe give us, uh, you know, two, like, let's say three, three of the, the coolest things you've seen uh, happen lately, three of the best victories that Nicosi has accomplished. Yeah, so right now, um, what has passed the House, I'll talk about the federal first, it's the Debt Bonds Repair Act, H.R. 2332. Um, that bill is very critical because it's highly practical. We know how hard it is for survivors of sex trafficking to just start a new life because oftentimes what comes to sex trafficking or prostitution, it, it comes with a life of crime. It comes with a life of not only physical and sexual abuse, but monetary abuse. Traffickers and pimps use the identity of their victims to take out loans, start businesses, whether they be fraudulent or not. Um, and then place the debt on the victim's head and say, well, you know, now you have to work 10 times harder, sleep with more guys to pay back the debt that's in your name. And I'm going to hold that over your head. And this is how victims become um, truly slaves to their pimps and traffickers. So what the Debt Bondage Repair Act will do is tell uh, banks that they cannot publish uh, adverse reports on trafficking victims and really get those adverse reports um, cleared off. Now, there's proper documentation that will take place from the courts to identify who's a victim of trafficking and who's not. Um, but that bill will take care of that. But the main thing is saying to trafficking victims, we're not going to give you a pathway to start a new life and not have a bad credit score and debt block you from that. So we're super excited. I do want to give a shout out to Reverend Dr. Marion Hatcher, who is a survivor leader, whose testimony about being trafficked and being in debt bondage 
really helped propel this piece of legislation. Her testimony is what inspired this bill. So a huge shout out to her. And then I'll move on to the state. Two things for the state, Texas and Maine. Now, for those of you who are listening, you may know, Maine is a heavily Democratic state. Texas is primarily a Republican state. But the one thing that they had in common this past session is that they both went after buyers who buy human beings for sex. And that is a huge, huge deal because now it shows that the message is getting out about how buyers are the ones who are fueling the commercial sex economy. If there were no buyers, there would be no need for victims of sex trafficking and prostitutions. So what happened in Maine, Maine um, uh, Bill 1592, it reframes prostitution as a problem of demand and it, it classifies buying as a sex crime of commercial sexual exploitation. And it really breaks up the fines on buying. And this is what we need to do. This is a, this is a, um, a, a surgical strategy to shrink the commercial sex market. You gotta go after the buyers. And a lot of times what you see, Jonathan, is women being arrested for prostitution. And really when you look at the elements of prostitution and how it operates and the elements of trafficking and how it operates, they're identical. So we know that there's no difference. You can't tell who is a willing prostitute and who is an unwilling trafficking victim. You don't know. And nine times out of 10, the women who have come out of the prostitution life will tell you they did not want to do this. They were forced, coerced, or frauded into doing it. And that meets the definition of trafficking. So this is a huge step in going after buyers and making sure that women aren't unequally being penalized. Um, and in Texas, this is really cool. I mean, Texas have done a, has done a lot of groundbreaking things this session, partly because they meet every two years. So they got to get a lot done. <laughs> but um, with HB 50, 1540, it makes the purchase of sex a felony for a first-time offense. Like, they're not playing around. So your first-time offense, you caught buying sex, it's a felony, and you are doing jail time. That is huge. Um, another thing that this piece does is um, it goes after what they call alcohol solicitation. I mean, whoever put this together really knew what they were doing. They, they know that oftentimes alcohol is used to solicit the act of buying sex. So if you are caught doing that, that or, or that establishment knows that you're doing it, that establishment can lose its liquor license. Um, it also sets jurisdictions parameters around schools and libraries to be non-trafficking zones. So they know that predators tend to hang around places where kids are at. Um, if there are known predators hanging around there, you look, you will be caught and you will be convicted. So it's a very strong piece to go after all the different elements that enable the commercial sex trade and it creates unnecessary victims, uh, particularly for minors who are victims. So this is great news. It's a happy Friday news and we are making progress. And it's, it's because of people who are listening, who refuse to unsee what they've seen and they they partner with survivors they partner with us and other allies to bam on the door of these legislators constantly and it's making a difference so a, a huge thank you to all of you who may be listening who you know who you are who were uh, a part of sending emails writing the governor um just all that you do we're just so appreciative and it, it's it takes a movement and you are a part of that movement 
What do you see coming down the pipe uh, in the next year or two? Because I know that, that a lot of these groups, so I know there's some things you can't say, obviously. You don't let the enemy know what your strategy is before you implement it. But at the same time, you know, Nikosi exists for a specific goal. It's to sort of combat sexual exploitation wherever it is found. And I know you always have a wish list. And so there's the wish list, and then there's the list of things that are looking increasingly possible. What sort of things do you guys have planned at the moment? Oh, boy. Um you know, if we could dream, <laughs> it would be a way, I'll say this, a way to raise the status of these policy issues with legislators. You know, there has to be a way to say to legislators, this needs to be an issue at the top of the totem pole, not the bottom. Um, we've, we have a lot of years under our belt that have been us banging our heads against the wall, getting influencers and policymakers to take this seriously and actually do some movement on this. Um, we believe the lawsuits have been a part of the, the quick movement we've been seeing on legislation. But in the future, it would be great, the dream would be to highlight legislators who are actively making a difference, uh, whether that be through endorsements or training or whatnot. And also to look at legislators who we need to hold their feet to the fire and, and say, hey, are you going to be an enabler of sexual exploitation? Are you going to use your authority to combat it? So we'll see what happens. That's the dream. Um, I'm pretty sure there's other dreams out there, but um, that's the one that for sure will make a huge difference in accumulating some victories. Now, for, on a more practical level, um, what can our listeners do to, to help you guys out? Where, where can they find uh, Nikosi's sort of day-by-day -day reporting, press releases to keep track of, of everything that's going on? Nikosi is one of my key sources on the fight against sexual exploitation. And if, if people can do something, uh, what is the one practical thing they can do to help you guys out in your work? Okay, yes. Um, so you can follow us at, at Nikosi, N-C-O-S-E. Um, on, on Instagram, you can follow us on Twitter at in exploitation. And uh, the practical thing you can do is go to dismantlepornhub.com. Um, you can also find that through navigating the COSI's website, but directly dismantlepornhub and go there and see our action items. There are still platforms facilitating Pornhub content. And the way that we dismantle Pornhub is by cutting off their revenue streams. Right now, Roku is still facilitating a Pornhub platform. So when you go to Roku, you have all your different TV apps and you can stream. They do have one for Pornhub. Why? In the midst of uncovering all this criminality from them, there is no reason to continue to host uh, Pornhub on a streaming platform. So there's an action that you can do there. You can write to the corporation of Roku and let your voice be heard. Everything is written there for you. You can edit it how you like, um, but send a message because this is how we get stuff done. This is how we were able to get Google Chromebooks after years to say that they're finally going to protect children. It's because of people who are listening like you are emailing, calling constantly. We have to be persistent in this. So that's the one thing you can do. Thank you so much uh, for all of your work on this. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about this. Thank you, John, for having me on and highlighting this, these important issues and victories.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Petrina, Petrina Mosley of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. Thank you so much for joining the show this week. We do hope that you felt educated, that you felt informed, and that you felt empowered uh, to get this information and that you're able to do something with it. We hope that you'll check out our previous podcasts by going to lightsidenews.com, clicking on the podcast tab. You can select our podcast there, and the podcast airs wherever you get your content. Thank you so much for joining us this week, and we really do hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks for listening.